Ah, yes, friends. On a Thursday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where you know we are going to be your hosts over here, Adam Armbrecht, over there, Andy Makowitz, together, the one giant podcast. How are we, sir? Not from the looks of it, the sounds of it before we got started here. Not so healthy, wealthy, and wise. Oh, man, I am struggling. You know, I, I went last week, uh, <clears throat> had a little tickle in my throat. So I was like, oh, let me go get a COVID test, make sure, you know, if I'm seeing anybody over the weekend. COVID test, negative. Strep test, negative. Flu test, negative. They gave me a bunch of antibiotics and steroids. Here here I am a week later. You know, everyone's saying that it's allergies. I basically couldn't sleep from 12 to, to 4 a.m. last night. Take an allergy medication. Adam, I am down for the count, but I will never give up on OGP. And also, just as a side note, I'm still in a really good mood because the PGA Championship just started. If anyone knows me, knows I'm a big golf fan. Um, So look out for Hideki Matsuyama. That's my pick this week to win the whole thing. Yeah, listen, nobody cares about golf, all right, buddy? But I am glad to hear that you're uh, you're fighting the good fight when it comes to the OGB podcast. I'm going a little bit more casual here today for the fans on YouTube, a little more relaxed atmosphere. It feels kind of like I'm doing Friday vibes, so who knows what it's going to look like by tomorrow. It could be just me laying on the floor somewhere, completely sprawled out. But uh, as we talk New York football giants, and we, we listen, we've been breaking down the OTAs. Um, well, on the back end of this, we're going to update a couple of additional signings that the team made here, just some moves to get some more bodies into camp whether or not it should be significant of it. Um, obviously, the the big conversation in these past few weeks, both from a pre- and post-trade, uh, post-excuse me, release for James Bradbury, was what was going to happen in the secondary to cornerback position. Finally, the New York football giants do release James Bradbury, and we said there was a good chance that he was going to turn up somewhere that New York football giants fans might be disappointed to see. And it ends up being with the Philadelphia Eagles. There's a pretty big spectrum here of things to talk about from the contract, uh, the reaction and the impact that it has potentially inside the division. Yeah. Let's, let's start with um, not surprising that he signed with a contender. That's the first thing that I, that I think is important. James Bradbury talked about how he wanted to, to be competing for a championship. Obviously mm-hmm. the Eagles made the playoffs last year. Um, but, uh, Josina Anderson was texting with James Bradbury, um, another reporter for ESPN. And he came back and said, listen, this fits me perfectly. It fits exactly what I want to do. And he slots in as a number, a really good number two alongside Darius Slife for the Eagles. Adam, it's a one year up to $10 million a year. Um, which at this late in the game is a pretty good deal for James Bradbury. So, what is your initial reaction to just just the numbers first and foremost about the contract he got, and then we'll talk about the Eagles' perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think again we said all along that this is a quality cornerback, right? And again, if the money, like this, was why I kept going back to saying, like if the Giants could figure out a way potentially to hang on to him, they would. It's the money piece that was really hampering them, and everything they were hamstrung with uh, when Joe Shane took over as the GM for this organization. He's still a good cornerback. He's not a perfect fit or the ideal fit for Wink Martindale's scheme. We know he's coming off of a down year, but only two years removed from having Pro Bowl caliber play, right? When he when he obviously was someone that the Giants and Giants fans looked at and said he can be here, at least for the life of the contract, let alone maybe, you know, maybe beyond that, right? So I mean he, he he's a solid player. I think this is this lets you know one that he still can play at a high level because there's a lot of names out there on the mark and we talk about free agent cornerbacks that aren't going to garner the same level of, of contract. I think it was like 7.5 million and up to 10 million with incentives for Bradbury. Right. So he's clearly up on that level. And then because when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles, just briefly to touch beyond the money, 
they're also a team that believes they can win the division this year. They can go in a playoff run, right? So you're going to pay for the opportunity to really take a position of absolute need and elevate it. I mean, you know, the upgrade is is significant for them. They go from having one quality corner to now having a one, and then you can debate, right? A solid two, a one A, whatever it looks like. They've elevated their roster, but the, the money makes sense, man. Like this is this is the going rate for a quality cornerback. We've seen other contracts that were signed in the offseason. The fact that it's a one-year deal at least gives some level of prove it to it. And then probably for James Bradbury, he's going to give him a chance to get back on the market at 29 years old next offseason and maybe still get one more bite at the apple to get a payday. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that come out. One, the really sad footnote about all this is the Giants are going to be paying James Bradbury more to play for the Eagles, and the Eagles are playing James Bradbury to play for the ah. Eagles. And you know what? People are putting that at the footstep of Joe Shane being like, oh, look at what happens when you do this all late. Let's not forget who created that contract to begin with and who kept kicking the can and created this cap cap sure. L. We're not going to say the name anymore. We're, we're moving forward. But anyone that's frustrated with Joe Shane, let's just move past that. The second piece of it is, yeah, I mean, James Bradbury had an opportunity to sign with you know the Houston Texans via trade. We talked about all the opportunities that were available earlier. They wanted to extend him at about 7 or $8 million a year on a two-year deal. And, and Bradbury said, no, I know my worth. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, give you guys a discount to go play for the Texans. Why would I do that? And he ended up being right. You know, he, he ends up getting 10 million on the open market. You think if his play is relatively decent, he puts himself in line to make at least seven or $8 million next year. And he got to pick where he wanted to play. And he probably didn't have to move very far being able to go from playing for the giants to Philadelphia. It all just makes too much sense for James Bradbury, the player and the person, right? Yeah, you end up you end up going and playing for a quality team. You know, we hate to say it, but Philadelphia is going to be a quality team this year, as opposed to Houston in more of a rebuild mode. So again, would you take a little bit less on a two-year deal to go somewhere and be competitive, possibly deep playoff runs? That could look a little bit different. And then to your point, you you're still getting you're still getting a chunk of change off the Giants. Now you pick up an upwards of ten million dollar contract from the Philadelphia Eagles. So we talked about this last week at one point where I said this is all the math that Bradbury is doing. Well, I can go get 16 million on a restructure two years from Houston, or I can take this 10 million combined with what I get from the Giants and try to reset it, right? It's all about what does the next three, four years look for James look like for James Bradbury. And from that standpoint, like I get why I pushed the pause button on it. I think, you know, when you're not what we're doing, what we're not doing is reaching into someone's pocket, right? And counting their money. It is funny to think about and be like, man, you couldn't have just like done the extended contract anywhere for like eight million a year. The incentives up to 10, like, I get it. But if you had just done that, the New York football giants could have been talking about having an extra draft pick uh, in this draft. So, I, listen, I, good on him. Again, I know we're going to move into, like, the impact that this is going to have here. But it, it made, this makes a lot of sense from all sides. And I don't get, to your point about the Joe Shane piece, the, the, early, late, whenever, it was never going to be the perfect scenario. You're always going to be eating some amount of money. It was always going to be difficult to move him. And if you talk about holding on to him, as we had said, until later in the offseason, you don't know what that value was going to look like. And you could have literally ended up walking into the season with that money on the books and maybe having to, as we outlined, cut more players sooner than you'd want to to free up the necessary money for the draft class and any free agents. So uh, what I want to do is shift a little bit on the James Bradbury piece and talk about the internet reaction, giant fans reaction, which has been very puzzling to me. And maybe you could put the pieces together a little bit better than I can, but basically a a good portion of giants, Twitter and the Twitter universe as a whole is like now slandering James Bradbury for playing for the Eagles, but then also being like, 
good luck trying to keep up with Wandell Robinson and Kadarius Tony. You bum, you stink. Like, good luck. You're going to get torched. Like you, you were terrible to begin with. It's like the second that he's no longer on this team to no fault of his own, right? Like he, he wasn't the one that cut himself. Like he wanted to be here. Just didn't want to restructure. Everyone is up in arms now calling James Bradbury a bum when he wasn't really a bum. I just don't understand the, the slander when the guy was on the, our roster, like 72 hours ago. Right. Well, I, I'll put it this way. Like, um, because there's two pieces to it, how I think it impacts on the field and some of the matchups that we're going to see now at least two times a year uh, in the short term. And then maybe more when we talk about playoff matchups, as we always like to see when divisional rivals get together there in the postseason. Um, I, I've never again, there's different circumstances for this, right? Some players leave teams by I'll, 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 I'll give the great cross podcast example, right? When James Harden kind of forces his way out of Brooklyn because he wants to go to Philadelphia. Now, listen. I, I even now I still don't hold any ill will around it. It's disappointing. It should have been better for the team. All those things. Okay, great. And then you go and you see how he performs and you can make your assessment on it. But there was a huge level of vitriol around what this guy did and how he went about it and why everyone's so disgusted with him. And you hate, 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 hate. Okay. Even in that scenario, from a fan perspective, I can understand it because this is a guy that was trying to submarine himself to get out of there. Saw it happen in Houston as well. To your point, like James Bradbury didn't make this situation. He was a free agent. The prior GM signed him, thought it was going to be a really good signing. And when it, at the time, every New York Giants fan loved the signing, even still liked it when they restructured him and extended his contract, which is how you ended up with this really big cap number coming into this season. And then the team finally admitted they had to rebuild the roster. So I, to your point, like, what did James Bradbury do? He signed a contract and it didn't work out. I'll give you a great example. What if the New York Giants turned around tomorrow and traded or released? Let's you know put in the same waters. They released Leonard Williams because the money was too big and it was time to move on. And he went and signed with the Eagles. How would you react to it? Right? I mean, he's had his ups and downs. He's had some really big plays for us, obviously, along the way. Hasn't always come fully through. And there's big money attached to him. Would you turn around and treat him like, you know, like a persona non grata because he wasn't on your roster? So, like, I, I get that once you're off the team, you you change your mentality around a particular player. But I've never understood the, the level of like the, the rage around it. And I do think it's directly tied to the fact that he's now a Philadelphia Eagle. If he had signed with the Houston Texans, I think everyone would say, oh, like we wish him nothing but the best. Right. No, one, no one would be reacting this way if he wasn't a Philadelphia Eagle. And I do get that piece of it. Though it's that's about the uniform, it's not about the player. Yeah, but like think of it if you're James Bradbury. So other people have reported that up to 10 or 12 teams might have had interest in James Bradbury. Teams were actually willing to give him more guaranteed money than the seven and a half plus the two and a half that you had mentioned before that the Eagles were giving him. Sure. But he wanted to be in a situation where he could start, he could contribute right away. The scheme was good, and he can be on a team that was a playoff contender. And he accomplished all that without having to right. move very, very far down the road. Like to me, it's one of those things where it's like. Thank you for everything you did for the Giants. We're at a different time and place where it didn't make sense to have you on the roster anymore, especially with the new scheme as well as the cap cap situation. It makes sense for everyone to move on. But Adam, the, the, the real thing is, is the impact. Does this change anything in the division? Does this change anything for the Giants or the trajectory of the Eagles or like in the, in the macro, like what, what, what is the James Bradbury signing do for anything? Yeah, see, I, I was batting this around a little bit with Pessimistic Mike um, yesterday, obviously when it broke and you start texting everybody, like, hey, what's the deal? And we were, you know, it's funny. 
because again, I, I can make the case why Bradbury is a quality cornerback and you want to see them there. Specifically when it comes to the Eagles, yes, I think it does move the needle, right? There's going to be matchups throughout the year, regardless of the Giants, like regardless of the division. There's going to be matchups where having another quality corner is going to make a huge difference to being able to get off the field on a key possession, get a win instead of a loss. And that can be the difference of winning the division or having to go in as a wild card, et cetera. So I think that there is impact that he's going to have on the field. But at the same time, it's the reason why we talk about like, why wasn't he a fit with the Giants even outside of the money? We saw it last year. Now, getting pressure to the quarterback is a key part of this. But the longer that the that opposing QBs had time to let routes develop was the more likely that James Bradbury was going to be getting burned over the top, right? He just doesn't have the legs to keep up with some of these wide receivers around the NFL and even inside of the division. Like, there's going to be matchups that are going to be hard for him. So I, it's a little bit of a push and a pull. It's why it's hard to have him in Wink Martindale's system. I think it'll fit better, but it automatically means you're going to have some safety help over the top. I, I I don't know. It's interesting. And you mentioned about some fans reacting and saying, good luck keeping up with Wandell Robinson or Kadarius Toney. Like, let's go team specific. Well, you can put him out there against, against uh, Kenny Galladay and feel like, hey, that's a problem, right? If you're a Giants fan, you go into two times a year facing the Eagles, Bradbury's going to be able to play and use his exact skill set to match up against the Kenny Galladay. Do I think that the Giants should try to manufacture opportunities to get faster, shiftier wide receivers against James Bradbury? Of course. And then it's just going to come down to how the scheme plays out, the over-the-top coverage help, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's hard to say it's not going to be, it's not helpful for the Eagles in the grand scheme of things, but he's only one of a part, right? He's not an elite shutdown corner at this point of his career, and he's still very good. And I think that's that's the the discrepancy around around fans being this upset about it is where do you think he is, right? That's the question. Is like what point do you think James Bradbury of his career is? Is it two years ago or is it last year? And I think the truth lies somewhere in between. So, Adam, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Kenny Galladay and James Bradbury because people have brought up some film uh, when Bradbury was with Carolina and Kenny Galladay was with the Lions. And Kenny Galladay kind of feasted a little bit on him, which is kind of ironic. But, you Different know, <laughs> their career now, right? You right. Say that they're kind of they're kind of meeting in the middle as far as where they are at this point of their career. Yeah, exactly. But, Adam, well, let me let me paint a little bit of a bigger picture here. James Bradbury was not going to be on the Giants. He wasn't going to be on the Giants regardless. They had to release him to save the cap, the cap savings. Right. He wasn't going to be here. Most Giant fans believe that the that the Giants are looking to rebuild. This is a rebuilding year, right? James Bradbury signed mm -hmm. a one-year, $10 million deal. If the Giants aren't really competing this year for a playoffs or Super Bowl, does it really matter where he signs a one-year agreement? Sure. And this, <laughs> Right? Like, does it really matter? Like, good, well, put him, you put know, him there. And the second piece of it is, He's 29. He's going to be 30. Let's say he plays pretty well for the Eagles and the Eagles end up having to give James Bradbury a three-year deal for a cornerback over the age of 30 that fits best in his own schemes. Like in the grand scheme of things, is this really going to hurt the Giants? My answer is like in the short term, it's a one-year deal. And, and like, yes, it's in the division and it hurts, but how much does it really hurt? You know what? And let's put it in the context too. Is another great example because I mentioned Leonard Williams before, which is like you know I was just for the sake of the of the conversation. But let's put it in one that maybe does contextualize a little bit better. We mentioned Kenny Galladay. What are the Giants? Because the money's all wacky again. Another bad kind of contract. A lot of heavy weight on there. Not competing immediately. What if the Giants had moved on from Kenny Galladay in the offseason and he went inside with the with the Washington Enders right? and signed him to a similar kind of one year proof deal, reset the value of your market. To your point, you're going. 
all right. I mean, it's not great. It's a, it's a competitive player inside of our division, but what is our expectations for this season? It's okay. Like you say, James Bradbury is going to be a highly competitive corner for this year. All right. And then we'll see what, and then we'll see what happens. And you, and, and, and if you're going to be the Philadelphia Eagles and stay competitive and you want to sign them to a big contract, good for you. I like to stay away from cornerbacks as they get into their thirties. Likewise for Kenny Galladay, right? Players like this and decisions like this, to your point, they only impact you when you feel like you are a team that's right on the cusp. And that's why everything that the Giants have been doing this offseason and through the draft and free agency, we're going to talk about some other players that they added in here. It's all about finally doing the rebuilding process. So, again, I get the frustration, um, but this isn't this isn't even we've talked about before in the podcast. This is not OBJ signing and then trading him away and wondering at what point of, of the of the process were the Giants, the back end of Eli's career. Where would you be three, four years later? Right. Like there are times there are instances when these things look different. It's going to be the same question that we're going to have next offseason after Saquon Barkley goes through this year, right? What are we talking about? You want to sign into a big contract? Well, where are we in it? Where are we in the process of rebuilding and being competitive? Because if it's a longer-term pro- project than we realize, or then we, or then you and I, maybe we, we think it will be, why, why, why invest the money in them? And when you see him somewhere else, this is when we talk about it, right? When I talk about <laughs> seeing Saquon and thinking you should trade him, um, you could have seen him go for 1,500 yards this year for another team. And everyone will be saying, oh, see, he should be doing it for the Giants. And I'd be telling you the exact same thing that if James Bradbury has six interceptions this year. It doesn't matter because we weren't going to compete this season the way these other teams are. Um, but that being the case, I think that covers it, I guess. And good luck to James Bradbury, man. Like, listen, I hope he does well. Like, I, I, he's, oh, he, was a, he was a good player for the Giants. He was a good locker room guy. I have nothing against him. The circumstances didn't work out. I hope that it ends that he has a good career. And by the way, with the Eagles, and I also hope we totally torch him when we play him two times a year, right? Like it can be a both and he can look bad against us and then have a nice run for Philadelphia when it doesn't impact our outlook for our team. But I think we do want to get into these roster moves and some additions that came here, and some of them obviously impact in that secondary. Yeah, so we talked about um, some of the players that came in. We talked about Canada and Dorsey, two cornerbacks. Um, some has you know familiarity with Wink Martindale yet again. We, we talked about that yesterday. In corresponding moves to be able to sign them, obviously the Giants can only have, I believe, 90, 90 players in camp on the roster. So the Giants had to make some moves. We talked about some of the back-end type of guys on this roster, one being linebacker Trent Harris. He was now released. You look at Raymond Johnson, defensive lineman. He is now released. You look at... Brian Lurkey, you know, fourth or fifth string quarterback, depending. He was released. He was on the roster. He's now right. released. <laughs> right. He was, he was, him and Joe Shane were basically the two throwing, throwing passes. And now all of a sudden they're like, no, we have Joe to throw passes. We don't need Brian Lurkey anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, and then the Giants wave and injure, uh, wave injure designation for defensive back Jordan Mosley, who they just signed recently. So they're yep. really tinkering, you know, as they do with the 53 in the practice squad. They're starting to tinker with that 90 of who they want to bring in. They see a little bit. They, they say, okay, we've seen enough. Let's bring in someone else that maybe can show flashes. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about some of the back-end moves the Giants are making? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And we talked about when we looked at the depth chart, right? These are the names. Now, and I, you look at it from two ways, though. When you talk about Trent Harris and you talk about a player like Raymond Johnson, the thing that I would point out is these are two guys that are kind of, you know, in that in that in-between age, right? They're veterans. They have some experience in the league but you're moving out bodies to bring in some other potential veterans. I want to make sure we hit all the names that were officially brought in. Um, but, but you're, you're doing it so that young talent, 
young talent, both drafted, undrafted free agents, and holdovers from the previous regime have opportunities to potentially go, you know, to have a chance to make this roster, to have an impact over the course of camp. And you're also bringing in guys that, whether it's Wink Martindale, whether it's uh, Dable, whether it's Kafka, just guys that maybe are going to fit into the scheme better, plug and play a little bit more, and offer a different type of competition inside of camp. Yeah, agreed. And and when we talk about bringing in some of the newcomers, obviously those are the people that were released. We talked about Kennedy and Khalil Dorsey that are coming in uh, at the cornerback position. Makes sense. We just talked about yeah. why James Bradbury was leaving. The two other people that came in were defensive end Jalen Holmes and safety Henry Black. Holmes uh, spent much of last season with the New Orleans Saints, played in eight games for them. The Giants website says credited with four, uh, 14 tackles. Um, you know, just another guy that has some veteran experience, kind of see what you can get from him. Um, the other one is, is, uh, safety Henry black. Obviously we need a little bit more depth at the safety position. He gets brought in to, to see if he can compete at the, at this point. Um, coincidentally, Henry black gets, gets brought in immediately on the ESPN depth chart moves to number two behind Julian love in front of Belton and Corker, which I thought was surprising. Don't know if that's ESPN just kind of like throwing him in there cause he was signed, but, yeah. um, any, any thoughts about the Giants bolstering the secondary yet again? Well, and I'll just quickly on Holmes, because we mentioned, we mentioned Ward yesterday, right? Like, I think this is, again, you're putting veteran bodies in front of some of these young players and saying, hey, if you can get there, right, there's some undrafted free agents we've mentioned before that could make a move here in the offseason because of how thin the depth was at those positions. I think you're putting veteran roadblocks in front of them and you'll be happy. You know, you'll, you'll deal with that. We'll obviously get into is Dexter Lawrence going to go inside over the nose tackle again, like he did in his rookie campaign. And how does that shift things up front? How's the scheme certainly going to impact it? Um, we talk about black uh, again, now it, twofold to me, it's one, put a roadblock in front of, or some veteran experience ahead of a guy like Belton or a guy like Yusuf Corker. We know that Xavier McKinney is obviously there. On Julian Love, we got some traction over on YouTube with a couple of people saying, and then it was a back and forth. A lot of people were involved in the discussion around, you know, we we mentioned in our last episode, it's you're talking about a guy like uh, Darius Slayton. You're talking about Julian Love, players that are going to have to prove themselves to maintain their roster spots. So they are effectively fighting for roster spots. And we got a little bit of pushback based on the pedigree of a Julian Love coming out of Notre Dame and everything else. And I said, this is the way it goes. When you get drafted, where you played and how you look as a prospect obviously matters. But then what happens over the start of your career either elevates or downgrades the way that we look at you. And if you're talking about a Julian Love who's a holdover from a previous regime, who's going to be coming down to the back end of his rookie contract, it matters that if you are, let's, you know, whatever, a middle of the road, a C plus overall safety slash special teamer, and you bring in a veteran like Black and you have Corker and you have Belton, yeah. One of those guys can take your spot, and then the dollars and cents of it all also will come into play there. So um, from the secondary perspective, again, I think this is the smart process of saying, let's bring in competition, and every time that one of our younger players survives, all the better for it, right? If we jettison one of these guys, happy to do it, but we want to make sure that the young talent is earning those reps, and that I think specifically includes the holdover players from the previous regime, right? This is you can lose your spot, if you don't outperform some of these veterans we're bringing in. Look, everyone can give us pushback on Julian Love because he's a name that people are familiar with and we want him to succeed. That is completely fine, Adam. But let's just talk about the facts. I know Pro, pro Football Focus, you know, for whatever their grades are, let me just say, for instance, Julian Love was a 55.4 last year. Not great. The year before that was a 55.2. 
he's kind of showing exactly what range he falls in. The year before that, they moved him all around the field. He was a 70, which is why I think Giant fans get excited about Julian Love. But let's just put this in perspective, Adam. In 2020, we started Isaac Yedem at cornerback. Isaac Yedem had a 56.8 pro football focus rating. He actually graded better on what he did than Julian Love did. And Isaac Yedem is almost out of the league right now. So, like, I think it's fair to say when you have a $2.5 million cap hit, you're coming towards the end of your rookie contract. You're showing that you're a 55 pro football focus rating guy and you're maybe replacement level. If you need to save $2.5 million, that's one option for the Giants. I'm not saying that I don't want Julian Love on this roster, but when you have to make tough decisions like we just had to with James Bradbury to free up cash because of the previous regime, like th those are the names that we're going to highlight. And it's tough because it's not like he's terrible. It's not no. like you want to get, get him out of here and jettison him immediately. I still think he can contribute, but man, if Yusuf Corker looks great and Dane Belton looks great in camp, you're talking about guys that are already have a leg up and, and, and cost a third of what Julian Love will. And think about the fact too, that again, all these names, like nobody, like, I, I was defending Darius Slayton when he was dropping those passes, right? When he wasn't having a high rate of success and you understand the fifth round pick, like I'm the guy that's going to defend those players when they're New York football giants. I want them to succeed. I want him to be running those deep routes and catching those passes. Likewise for Julian Love, you know, right? We talked about like, I was, I was hyped on this kid coming out now. The, and the difference is too. remember you're talking about last year when you had Logan Ryan, right? When like Julian Love is going to be elevated in his role this year over what was expected of him last year as, as the roster is currently constituted. And do I think that he and every defensive player deserves a little bit of a, hey, let's take a pause. Let's see what you're capable of inside of Wink Martindale's system, right? When we think the coaching staff is better. Of course I do. But you don't automatically get the, the leg up on young players on veteran players that come in. I think what you get is a shot. You're in camp. You were a backup rotational player, special teamer. Great. Earn your keep. You can, you can be worth the 2.5 million this year, but you can also tell me that other guys, player X, player Y is going to be more important to this team overall. And that can justify moving off of a Julian love or any, any of these players, man. And this is what I know it hurts to say it, but like, this is what this process is. It's saying, it's not even about the singular value or talent or abilities of certain players. It's about resetting money, resetting the roster, and looking forward. So a lot of these guys fall into that spectrum, including even a player I'll just briefly touch on here, um, and then you can take this where you want to, with um, CJ Board, who's also a speed player, right? He, someone mentioned this, and, and we know he can take the top off the coverage, but this is, I just want to tie it back into yesterday's episode. But they brought in Richie James, who's a couple of years younger, right? But they brought in Foster, but they have guys like Sills or younger talent, right? They brought in some guys who converted to tight end at wide receiver and undrafted free agency. They also drafted Wandell Robinson. Like all of these factors then make you look back up the roster and to years prior and say, yes, I know we have this association around what this player did for us, but the hierarchy just starts to shift here as you move through. And it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I want to see a handful of players from the previous regime make it over to this one. We talked about <clears throat> Oshane Eximenez. Maybe he can re reset himself after certainly falling down the value chart in not only the defensive scheme standpoint, but also in the, the coordinators in Joe Judge's eyes, right? Maybe he still has value, but you got to prove it. And there's no reason for me or you or the podcast to walk into this offseason and be saying, well, because of how bad the team has been the last couple of years, all of these guys deserve to be looked at like they were as prospects coming out. That's not the way it works. We've at least gotten tape on these players to start to evaluate where they true, their true value is and where their true function can be. Adam, 
it's pretty I'm a little jacked up here on a Thursday. It's, I know, I know you are. And and listen, I'll, I'll close this thing out and I'll, I'll say at the end of the day, Adam, there's mm. a very simple thing. When I say these numbers, six, four, five, three. Mm-hmm. Does that mean anything to you? Are those the wins? Those are the wins over the last four years for the Giants. Six, four, five, and three. So, like, when we're all up in arms about Julian Love, who wasn't even starting last year, like, is he going to be on the roster? There is a lot of work to turn over this roster. We may like Julian Love, but guess what? We saw it with Raymond Johnson leaving. You saw it with letting letting Austin Johnson go because of cap stuff. You see them bringing in Jihad Ward and Justin Ellis, people that they're familiar with that they've had success before. At the end of the day, Adam, we have to turn over this roster. There's going to be some tough cuts. Of course, there's easy cuts like, you know, letting Nate Solder go or getting some cap savings from Kyle Rudolph who didn't do anything. There's going to be tough decisions to be made on guys like Darius Slayton, O'Shane Ximenez, Julian Love, etc. And guess what? I care about the Giants having future success more than I care about one guy proving me right that I liked him when he came out of college two years ago. And that's really what it matters is we have to turn over this roster. We have to get better. And if we're truly trusting in Wink Martindale, Mike Kafka, Dable, and Shane, yeah. then we have to trust in the decisions that they're going to make. Hey, shout out to Kareem over on YouTube. Shout out to Scott. I am uh, shout out to Davis. A lot of guys that got it on the conversation there. And the last one we'll throw out here is uh, Ed Milley, who he was one of the, uh, he was one of the, the first ones to, to rage against the darkness of not having the theme music playing. Um, and just, I want to throw this in there. Maybe we'll touch back in on it. Uh, he mentioned Tate Crowder and the fact that he was a convert over from running back and getting into that linebacker room. When you look at his measurables, this is what I'll say. You, you want, um, we're, we're, we're get, taking a bit of a knock on Julian Love. I'll get, I'll throw a bone out to a guy like Tay Crowder, who I think resetting himself inside of this system and looking at him as a depth piece as opposed to a starter at the inside linebacker position, that can change where his value lies and where they can utilize some of his skill sets, his speed, et cetera. So we'll flesh out more of that along the way, man. But this is the nature of it. Tomorrow's episode, Friday show, um, I'm not going to, it's a tease. We're going to go someplace a little more expansive. I had a thought, Andy had one, maybe looking at the schedule, maybe tapping back into the draft class and saying, how would we have built things out here for this offseason for the New York football giants? It's going to be a fun one, obviously, as we work our way through the OTAs. Be sure to check that one out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's absolutely just been elation on our side of it how much support we're getting we couldn't be any happier for it we continue to try to get in on it live will be coming up here over the offseason as well get the podcast we get those needs fulfilled and as andy makowitz before that epic theme music plays would want need and nay demand the people know as always let's go big blue